0: Well, happy New Year's Eve. So, raise a hand. How many of y'all have made a New Year's resolution? All right. Yes. Well, I I thought, okay, New Year's resolution, let's let's statistically see what is happening in our nation. And so I quickly just Googled, I know it can be very scary, but I Googled New Year Resolution Statistics. And this is what came up. For 2024, 48% of New Year's resolutions want to improve their fitness. 38% want to improve their finances. 36% want to improve their mental health. 34, want to lose weight. And 32, want to improve their diet. Those are just the top five New Year's resolutions for 2024. And then, knowing me, I had to ask, how long does the average New Year's resolution last? My friends... And this is according to Forbes, quote, if you find yourself in the camp of setting lofty goals for the new year, only to find yourself falling off the wagon just months, and in parentheses, or weeks later, rest assured, you're not alone. In fact, failing at a new year's resolution is so common that there's a slew of unofficial, dates... Commoderating such failures Some sources cite quote ditch New Year's resolutions day end quote as January 17th (laughs) Others denote the second Friday in January as quitters day My friends according to Forbes it says that the average resolution lasts just 3.7 months. I titled today's lesson, Practice What We Preach. And that right there, my friends, is something that you and I, we will struggle with until the good Lord brings us home. And so I don't want you to think that since I am sitting up here I have it all figured out. If you know me well enough, you know I don't. I might pretend, but people like, "Hey Garrett, how you doing?" And one of my favorite responses is, "I'm a duck on a pond." What? Cool calm on the outside. But underneath my legs, just kick him, just kick him. And it's easy for us to get in that mindset, to lose heart, to make a goal, to read the word, to fall off the wagon, to fail, and to beat ourselves up. If that's where you're at right now, welcome. I'm seriously welcome. Because I don't want you to come into this auditorium and go, hmm, that crazy Garrett dude, he thinks he knows it all. I don't. And when I teach, I don't like teaching often. You know why? Because God goes, hey Garrett, practice what you preach. But, 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 okay. And so I'm standing up here, sitting actually, and I'm asking you guys to hold me accountable. I'm asking, if, if I'm going to go through the word with you guys, I want you to understand that this is not just me going, you. This is me going, Us. We need to practice what we preach. Scripture says, hey, let your yes be yes and your no be no. We intuitively wrestle with it. As Christians, we wrestle with it. Paul says, man, it frustrates me. This is a loose Harrington translation, by the way. It frustrates me. I know what I ought to do, and I don't do it. And I know what I not ought to do, and guess what I do? And so, my friends, I don't want you thinking that everybody in this room has it under control. But I hope and I pray that as we leave today, we'll have a better understanding... Of what it really means to practice what we preach. What it really means to look at our brothers and sisters in the Lord, and love them well. So I've been going through First John. We are now in chapter two of 1 John. And you guys, if you're turned there, which is great, you can hold your spot in First John. But I want to start today because I want to lay some foundation. Obviously, end of the year, new beginning, all right, what do we got? It can be pretty lofty with what we discuss and how we wrestle. And so I wanted to go to actually what Jesus said, specifically. And if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew. Matthew is the first book in the New Testament, chapter 11. We're going to start in verse 25. I'm going to give you a second while you turn there. But you see, Jesus is talking to the crowd. And and he gets on their level. He speaks in ways that they understand. And we're going to talk about yokes and things like that. And I'll have to explain a little bit. But I want you to understand that he's using terminology that they understood. Listen to what he says in verse 25 of Matthew chapter 11. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Verse 28, this is a very common verse that a lot of us know. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Matthew writes, and he's, asked, he's actually asking three questions. As Jesus says this thing in verse 25, he goes, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, thank you that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. You see, we, 2,000 years later, get to ask a simple question. Are we trusting the Father? You see, a lot of us, well, I don't understand this, Garrett. So I'm just not going to believe it. Oh, well, I'm supposed to have faith. Well, 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 show me, show me. Prove it. What about, and we start creating all of these questions, which it's not bad to ask questions. In fact, we encourage questions because we grow when we start asking these tough questions. And sometimes, My favorite answer is, I don't know. But let me find out with you. Did you guys catch that? Let me find out with you. Let me wrestle with you. So Jesus is saying, God, thank you for making it evident to little kids And that's what you and I are supposed to have right now. Faith like a child. We don't completely understand everything that's going on. Guys, go back a couple years. Maybe when we first started realizing the power of the switch. You know what I'm talking about. The light switch. Anybody with siblings knows the power that you control when your sibling is on the other side of the room, and it's night, and you, the loving older brother, go, (laughs) click, and it casts it into utter darkness. We didn't understand that the electrical pulses and the wiring and and, and the, the lighting filaments and all that. We just knew that, hey, flick, it's on. Flick, it's off. This is great. Jesus is saying, guys, I want you to understand. I want you to trust the Father completely. Dig deep. Start learning how the electricity works. Absolutely. Absolutely. But because of what you know, because of what you already know now, trust him. Oh. Trust Him because of what I've known in the past. That means when you and I are going through tough times right now, we hear about people's testimony. We go back to the Word. We understand. We go, Father, help me understand. Help me trust you in all things. The second thing that we get to ask ourselves first one is, are we trusting the Father? The second one is, through the work of His Son. Look at what it says down here. Verse 27. All things have been handed over to me by the Father. All things have been handed over to me by the Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son. And anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Himself. 28 and 29, come to me, Jesus is saying, you, come to me, all who labor, are tired, are weary, are exhausted, are burnt out, are fill in the blank. Come to me, and I will give you rest. How can God give us rest? He gives us rest because He's done the whole work. All of it. That just grates our gears. It's like when you're teaching a young person how to drive a manual transmission. I love... I have a car specifically, does, it's a man, it's a five-speed manual, doesn't go really fast, and I like to teach kids how to drive a manual transmission. I don't let them teach on my nice car that's a manual transmission. It's the old car that's a manual transmission. Why? Because we all seen it. I mean, it just jerks it. And when we hear that Jesus has done all the work, our pioneer spirit, our I-can-do-it-myself spirit goes... Um, but wait, don't I need to help? Don't, 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 I need to, what about I, how about, and Jesus goes, no, come to me. That's why you're exhausted. That's why you're burnt out. You're trying to do it on your own when I've done all the work. Are we trusting the Father through his Son? And the final thing, verse 29 Take my yoke upon you, learn from me. I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. You see, they would often hook up oxes together. The old, wise, stable, steadfast to a young one that had no clue what to do. And if they weren't tethered together, that young one would be like doing circles around the cart. The cart would fall over and they'd lose all. But that stable one, that hard, that you know that one of them was doing all the work. The other one was just learning. The other one was just learning. And so, I ask us, are we allowing... Okay, so if we're trusting the Father through the work of His Son, are we allowing Him to change the way we think, live, and love? If you're looking at 2024 and you're burnt out. If you've looked at 2023 and gone, man, what a crazy year. And let me tell you, it's been a crazy year. The past couple of years have been nuts. I challenge you to just ask those three questions right now. Are you trusting the Father through the work of His Son? His Son did all of it. And are you allowing that work to change the way you think, live, and love? You see, there are some here that come but don't allow the gospel to change them. They still think, live, and love on their own terms. And this is what we're going to look at today in John. So, turn with me to First John. If you're new here, towards the end of the Bible, first John, not the Gospel of John, but you'll I've been listening to Alistair Begg and, and I've been laughing because he says one John. He doesn't say 1 John, second John, he goes one John, two John, three John. Hey, it makes sense. So if I accidentally slip, don't 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 tease me too much, but uh in first John. And we're gonna start in chapter two. But as you guys are turning there, I want you to understand. John was writing to warn the early church against people who claimed to know God, who claimed to walk in the light, but didn't. You see, in the first chapter, we went through it and we took some time. And we don't have a lot of time to go back and take a look. But, you see, they were thinking that God was just a good man. And you didn't need to know him as God the Savior. He was just a good teacher. That's what they were claiming. And John is going, wait, no. No, if he was just a good teacher, you know what he taught? He's the only way. He's the only truth. He's the only life. You have to understand that he is it. Otherwise, we just have this really cool Jesus guru dude. Not the Savior and Lord. The second thing that this these people were, were teaching was that you don't need to have a relationship with God healed at the cross. Come again? Yeah, but they were believing that you did not have to have a relationship with God that was healed at the cross. Why? Because they didn't believe sin was a problem. They didn't believe that you were an enemy of God. You needed to learn. You needed to understand. But you didn't need repentance and forgiveness. That's what part of the early church was battling with. It's no different than today. The third thing that John was writing about was that you can know and love God and not be an apprentice to Christ. You see, he was battling against believers or people that said they were believers who were claiming, oh, you don't need to get into the word. You don't need to listen to what Jesus said. You don't need to follow what he did. You do you. If it feels good for you, you do you. And finally, he was battling a group of people that said, you can love God, but not love other people. Your sentimental feelings about God, that's all you need. And John goes, no. No, those sentimental feelings. Man, if you acted... On everything you felt, I'd be in jail. I mean, (laughs) think about it. (laughs) If we acted on everything we felt, he goes, you have to have a better foundation than that. And John goes, you love God, you need to learn how to love others. Oh, man. That's hard. That's really hard. Because, you know, Christianity would be really, really good if Christians weren't involved. You know, other people that don't think the way I do, if, if they just, like, went to a different church or something, it, we'd have a really good... No. That's not family life. And you see, we need to wrestle. But we also need to learn how to love one another. And that's where John is getting at. If you remember, Pastor Travis had been going through First Corinthians before um, we switched over to Christmas. And there was a passage that even the Corinthians, even the pagan Corinthians were going, you call yourself Christians? Even we don't do stuff like that. Nehemiah also had a very similar thing where they were just family members were just just stealing each other blind, and they're going, you guys are supposed to be different. man you guys are different, but that's not the different I want to be part of." And so in First John chapter two, here's the plan. I'm going to attempt to read uh, verse 1 through 11, and then we're going to go back and we're going to unpack it. Last time I talked, I, I did verses 1 and 2, and so I'm going to just do a brief overview of those, but we need the foundation for it. Listen to what it says. John says, My little children... I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. By this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says... I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk the same way in which he walked. Beloved, I'm writing you no new commandment. But an old commandment that you've had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. Yet at the same time, it's a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going, because the darkness has blinded his eyes. All right, chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Let's take a look, and we're going to briefly go over it. I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. All right? John is clearly stating, here's, here's the reason of this letter. We don't want you to sin. He does not say that once you become a Christian, poof, you are sinless. How I wish that was true. It would save a lot of heartache. You guys know exactly what I mean. He's saying, I'm writing these things. So you'll learn how to think and live and love like Jesus. But when you fail, don't beat yourself up too bad. Why? Because Jesus has already done the work. Gotcha. That's why you connected the Matthew passage. He's already done the work. My friends, I encourage you to wrestle with that today. If anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. I talked about it a couple weeks ago. I'll briefly mention it here. We have someone on our side. You are not alone. Wrestle with that sin. And then understand that propitiation, you give it to God because he's already paid the price. You let it go and you say Jesus has dealt with this. That's so hard to do. Because we feel guilty. We feel condemned. We feel like, oh man, I blew it again. I'm a horrible Christian. Guys, I I spent the first couple minutes trying to let us know that you're not alone. And how encouraging is that if we as a body could come together and say, hey, dust yourself off. Allow Christ to pick you up. I forgive you. Oh, I forgive you. Even harder yet, will you forgive me? We have Christ, the advocate, in the courtroom of heaven going, yeah, Garrett's guilty. He deserves death. But your honor, Jesus approaches the bench. He goes, I paid for his life. So when you see Garrett, you see me. And if the righteous judge can say, done. Why don't we trust that? That's what John is getting at right now. Trust him. Keep going. Okay, Garrett, I'm wanting to trust the Father. I'm running to trust the Son. How do I know if I'm trusting him or not? Well, verse 3. By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, verse 4 says, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him, truly, the love of God is perfected. That word perfected is matured, grown, growth, is perfected. You're not a baby anymore. By this we know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides has fellowship in him, ought to walk in the way in which he walked. All right. We have a gracious advocate in heaven. Verse 3. We have an open invitation to restoration through our confession of faith. We go, God, I am trusting you. I know I've blown it. I know I'm a sinner, but you are my advocate, you are my propitiation. I am trusting you. It means now that I am going to learn how to keep your commandments. You see, it's a simple, loving obedience is what he's asking. How loving would our God be would be that He demands it. you obey. He has all right to. Don't get me wrong. He's perfect, we're not. He has all right to say it, but no. He goes, let me show you what love is. It's a natural result of fellowship with God. Have you ever started hanging around people and you start picking up their traits? Both good and bad. I shared a little bit. You know, I've been doing a lot of research with Alistair Begg and I'm really enjoying his his sermons and, and his theology. And I was talking to my wife the other day and I made the mistake oh yeah one john she goes <laughs> it's first john it's like i know but he's scottish and he says one john and he says it in a much better accent than i can but we start picking up we start our attributes start morphing it's the same mindset if you and i start fellowshipping with god we're gonna start picking up his commands Oh, but Garrett, but Garrett. What if I blow it? Oh, you will. Well, thanks. That's really comforting. I blow it. We just read. We just read. You're going to blow it. Take heart. Grow. Oh. Grow. Okay. Verse 3 says, if we keep his commandments. Verse 4 says, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar. Wow. You see, Spurgeon says this, quote, distinguish between knowing about Christ and knowing Christ. There's a passage in James that says the demons know God. Hmm. My friends, we know about many people. But when it says no Christ, it's this quote Spurgeon continues. The only saving knowledge is to know him, his very self, to trust him, the living Savior, who is now at the right hand of God. Are we trusting the Father through the work of his Son? And are we allowing that relationship to change us to think, live, and love more like Christ? Let's keep reading. Verse 5. Whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. Like I stated earlier, it's it, it means mature. Okay? A perfected, mature love for God will show itself in obedience. Hmm. It shows itself in obedience. My love for God shows itself in obedience. Not to try to earn more love. I don't know how we could do that. I mean, he gave his one and only son. That's a lot of love. It's not going to be, oh, you know what, Garrett, um, right there, oh, I'm glad you obeyed me, that that tipped the point. No, that, that, that's works. Remember, Jesus did it all. Our reaction to it, our love to it, is obedience, listening to him and thinking more like him. You see, when we become a Christian, there is a change... In us. I wish sin was eliminated in the believer. But it's not. And we grow, hopefully grow, and sin less because we're honoring God more. Do, you, do I need to restate that? Do you guys understand that? I want you to really understand because I can't tell you how many times we get, Garrett, I, I don't know if I'm a Christian why? Because I sin. Because I sin. I've blown it. I've asked God to take it away and I keep going back to it. My friends, take a second and look back a month, a year, five years. I hope and I pray that you are more in Christ now than when you were When you first came to him. Doesn't mean that you're perfect. By no means. But what it does mean is that we no longer love the sin. It means that we no longer brag about the sin as we once did. It means we no longer plan to sin. It means that we do not enjoy sin. We wrestle with it. And that is growth. That, my friends, is growth. He who says he abides in him ought to walk as the way he walked. That doesn't mean we get to go walk on water, as cool as that would be. It means... That we live in obedience to the father well well, how did how did Jesus walk well he lived in obedience to the father he said time and time again that I do what the father commands me to do oh well how do we get to know How to obey. How do we get to know how to love? How do we get to know how to live? By listening to the Father who said, Look at my son. He paid it all. Why are you beating yourself up? We have to get this grasp. We have to have this understanding. You see, John chapter 14 we don't have time to turn there but John chapter 14 says the son of man does not do these things for himself he's not doing this to say "Ah, look at me he's doing these things by what the father commands him to do and yet this is where the rub is we go okay God I want to trust you I want to follow you I want to obey you but let me do it. Anyone with kids, you know that age? Yeah, you guys are starting to laugh. (laughs) Yes, I remember that. Me do. I do. It's the same growth that we have with the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. I hope and I pray that you would not want Whoever teaches you to teach like me do. You hope for maturity. It skipped me, but that's okay. Now ah, you're listening. Okay, good. We're supposed to grow. We're supposed to encourage one another. Ray Steadman says this about this passage. About walking in the same way in which he walked this is where the rub comes we want him to do it despite us we do not always consent to it for his death means that we must absolutely renounce all of self life all the self-centeredness around which our lives for so long have been built His death cuts off the old man with its egocentric ways. And we, we don't like that. If we were arranging the Christian plan for living, we probably would devise a different purpose or a different process. In fact, we try to do just that most of the time. Ray Steadman says, we want to make it some of us and some of him. A little bit of glory, fame, power, favoritism for us, but mostly him, just as long as we get recognized. My friends, this should not be. And that's the problem that you and I face. We try to abide in him. We try to trust in him, we listen to it, we look at it and go, okay, obey his commandments. Well, Garrett, you really haven't given me what those commandments are. Have you noticed that? That I've kind of, you know, haven't sat down and said, do this, do that, do that. I can. But if you've been with me long enough, the apostle John, when he was really, really old, His sermons were really, really short. And some of you right now are thinking, listen to the old man, Garrett. Listen to the old man. They would literally carry him in and he would say, love God. Love one another. Trust God with everything. Learn how to love God fully learn how to love one another well. So where does this leave us? Well, it leaves us in verse 7. I am writing you no new commandment. You see Leviticus 19 actually comments about love your God. But an old commandment that you've had from the beginning, love God. And yet, I love how John goes, yet at the same time, it's completely different. Because at the cross, it became real. It wasn't just this thought process anymore. You see, the law, the law was there specifically. Why? To show us how much we failed. How much we need help. And Jesus says, no, no, no. I'm writing a new command. I'm giving you a new command. You love one another as I have loved you. So go love one another. Verse eight. It's a new commandment. John is writing to you, which is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and true light. It's already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother, can we just skip that verse? I mean, wait. Whoever, verse 19, verse 9, whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. But, but I've been hurt by the church. I've been hurt by Christians. I've been hurt by fill-in-the-blank. It is all too easy for people to place ministry or being right above loving the body of Christ. Man, that's some tough stuff. I mean, take a second and think. We may not use the term hate, because, you know, hate's a strong word. But there are people, there are brothers in Christ, brothers and sisters in Christ that we have issues with, and we don't even want to forgive them. They have hurt us so badly that when we see them, we go the opposite direction. Well, Garrett, this is a really good, encouraging, sobering lesson. Thank you so very much. So, I understand the commandment. Love God. Love others. But Garrett, they've hurt me. But Garrett, they've... But God, they've... But... If our Heavenly Father... Remember, trust the Father through the works of the Son. In Romans, it said, While you and I were still enemies, enemies of Christ... He came for the joy set before him to reconcile us. Oh man, I've been looking at this completely wrong. God, I need your help. I need your love. I thought it was okay to justify all the hurt that's been inside of me. No. You see, we must continue to do ministry. We must continue to encourage one another. But we must do it in love. It won't be perfect actions. Then we need to learn how to do it in proper repentance. I often ask... What's harder to do? Give forgiveness or ask for forgiveness? Both. Both. Whoever, verse 10, loves his brother, abides in the light, has fellowship in the light. And remember in John, we were, t- in 1st John, we were talking about how he is light. So it's saying that when we love one another, when we are listening and obeying what God has commanded, we are walking right. And I know we live in a world that is all full of tolerance. That's not what this love is talking about. It's pointing it back to the truth, pointing it back to the gospel, pointing it back to, hey, quit trying to do it on your own. You can try, but you're going to be burnt out. You can try, you're going to be frustrated. You can be try, you're going to be bitter. Take a second and think about all the times that we were those things. We were mad at the church, or mad at my family, or mad at this. Usually it had my pride involved. Right? And what John is writing, he's going, guys... You're going to be frustrated with one another because we're not perfect yet. We're supposed to be growing towards perfection. Yeah, growth. But that also means that you got to learn how to say, I forgive you, and will you forgive me? Because I messed up. Because I blew it. That's completely, completely not Normal. The world out there looks at the church and they see all the backbiting, all the gossip, all the judging. And they go, I don't want to be a part of that. Who's to blame them? But my friends, we have something better, we have something more real. We have the love of the Savior who said, yes, Garrett's guilty, but I traded him life for life, and he's one of mine. Whoever, verse 11, hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in darkness and doesn't know where he is going because the darkness is. Has blinded his eyes. Y'all ever been so frustrated that you just lash out? My friends, this is what it's talking about. This is what it's saying. And it's a good question for you and I to wrestle with. It's a good question for you and I to to really take a second and think about. You see, in verses three through six, it talks about fellowship, talks about fruit, talks, asks us specifically, are we in fellowship with God? And we ought to be walking the way he walked. We ought to be thinking the way he thinks. We ought to be living the way he lives. We ought to be loving the way he loves. And we're not talking about all the law. The whole law, guess what, my friends? The whole law pointed at how much we needed a savior. What it's talking about is loving God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, saying, God, I can't do it. I'm trusting you and you alone. The best thing that I can offer is a dirty rag. Help me love you well, God, because I can't do it on my own. It then also says, learn to love one another learn to love one another to forgive one another to ask for forgiveness from one another can you imagine if we as a body did that how cool of a legacy for TCF oh yeah they love well they love the father the son well they love each other well Yeah, they're not perfect. But you know what? When they mess up, they ask for forgiveness. I want to be part of that family. And so like I stated earlier, the title of today is practice what we preach. I got three points for us. Practice what we preach. Why? Because we have the greatest example. You see, in John 13, you guys don't need to turn there, but if you're a note taker, I encourage you to read John 13 this week. John 13, Jesus strips himself down, ties a towel around his waist, and washes his disciples' feet. And he specifically says, I did this as an example for you. I humbled myself. Show you love. Side note, he even washed Judas's feet. Talk about loving your enemies. You see, in John thirteen fifteen, in John thirteen thirty-four, he specifically said, I set the example. Love them. As I have loved you. If you really want to know what it means to love God, if you really want to know what it means to obey, learn to love like Christ loves. Perfect example for us to follow. The second thing is guys, you can't do it on your own. So stop trying. If you want to practice what you preach, Understand you have a changed heart. We don't have time to turn there, but you can jot down this. Jeremiah 31, verses 31 through 34. Ezekiel 36, verses 25 through 27. But specifically, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 through 21. It says this, that we are a new creation. In Christ. The old is dead. The new is here. Stop trying to resuscitate the old self. Get rid of the sin AED. All right. We have a changed heart in Christ. Not on our own, but in Christ. And the third thing. If we want to practice what we preach, understand that we have a lot of work to do. Oh, but wait, Garrett, didn't you just say that God did all the work? I did. I did. But he also said, pick up my yoke. Work with me. I'm doing all the work. You're just learning how. You see, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Matthew 28 encourages all of us to go and make disciples. We are to be ready to show love and forgiveness unlike that of the world. Alistair Begg says this, The best thing we have to offer those around us is the kingdom of Jesus. The way to earn that right to speak to them is to show them that kingdom. The biggest reason for the ineffectiveness of contemporary Christianity is failure to take seriously the radical difference that Jesus calls for as we follow him. We are not called to be like the world and the world does not need us to be like the world. We have something better to say because we have someone better to follow. So that means the call of Christ to you and me is greatly exciting and deeply challenging. The call is not to be uh, comfortable, but to be Christ-like. To discover the surprising means of experiencing real life. And, in doing so, point others to it too. Alistair Beck. So practice what we preach. we have the greatest example to follow. Practice what we preach. we have a changed heart, a new heart. Quit trying to res- resuscitate your old one. Practice what we preach. we have a lot of work to do, but don 't worry. Our Lord, our Savior, He's carrying the weight. We're just trusting Him. You see, this practice, what we preach, isn't only for pastors, it's for all of us. Jesus says, You are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. We have the greatest example to follow, we have a changed heart. And we have a long road. Don't get overwhelmed, but take it one step at a time in the shadow of the cross. Amen? Let's stand as we pray and sing this last song. Father, we humbly come before you and we thank you for your word. We thank you that You've called us to trust you in all areas of our life. And Father, forgive us for sometimes trying to do it our way instead of your way. Forgive us for the hurt that we've often caused others. And Lord, as we wrestle with what 1st John chapter 2 says, I pray that each and every one of us would look to the gospel knowing that you carried it all. It's nothing that we say or we do, but it's our hope and our trust in you. Jesus, thank you for forgiving us of our sins and help us learn to think and live and love. And I'll even add, forgive like you. In Jesus' name, amen.